Welcome to the Already All Around podcast, a conversation where we wade through the struggle of life to see possibilities that abound. I'm your host, Meredith Gudger Rains, and on today's episode, I'm reflecting on the relationship between struggle and joy. Like, when are the good times going to roll already? Are the good times coming back to roll? Are we, does anything roll anymore? These are my questions. I've also got another weekly goodness and love award to give out. So keep listening for that. Friends, if you used to have faith in humanity, but now you're struggling, you're not alone. This is the place for you. And it's good to be together. So what's all around this week? A good friend and I have this kind of shared understanding about starting an in-person conversation. One of us will ask the standard, so how are you? And the other will just laugh pathetically. <laughs> like, what is even the point of that question anymore? If this friend and I have actually made time to talk on the phone, 1980 style, then it means that one of us or both of us is up against a set of circumstances that is threatening our mental and emotional well-being. We are just barely hanging on. But you know, how are you? <laughs> In the midst of the pandemic, it seemed like people everywhere were asking that question and actually meaning it. I would go to Zoom meetings where we would do the business we had to do. It wouldn't take very long. And then we would spend a longer amount of time talking about our real lives, what our schedules were like, how our children were doing or how our parents were doing, what we were doing to fill our time and to keep from going crazy. I learned so much about people that I had known for years. Sometimes the conversations were hopeful or joyful when people were learning new skills or taking up new hobbies or spending time with their family. And sometimes they were full of pain and fear and unanswerable questions. Like when someone had a loved one in the hospital with COVID or when someone was losing business or like me, people who were trying to parent when their kids had lost their whole social world and trying to compensate for it and witness the grief of all of it and still be a non-anxious presence for our kids. In those days, we were constantly saying what a hard time it was, how we were living through challenging days. This was unprecedented. Boy, I don't care if I ever hear that word again in my life. I remember thinking, yes, these are difficult days, but when do they stop being difficult days? How do we get out of this? What's the end game here? How do we overcome this unprecedented time and when will we know that we've done it? When will we look around us and think, oh, these are pretty ordinary times we're living in, or even these are pretty optimistic, bright days that we're living through. We don't really have those heart to hearts in meetings anymore. At least I don't. We're kind of back to business as usual. With my friends though, and with people I'm really comfortable with, people who know me, people I know, my conversations are still about pretty scary things. The Supreme Court eroding people's rights, the world on fire 
as it heats up. Book bans and schools in crisis. These are really still difficult, kind of depressing days. So I'm still wondering, are optimistic, hopeful, cheerful times even a thing? <laughs> like, is that one of the options you get? Or are your options like normal level of struggle and discouragement and then really oversized level of struggle and discouragement? If you want those feelings of encouragement and hope, is your best bet to just ignore everything? Look out for your own? Throw a really good party while everything just goes down around you? <laughs> One of the great parts of my job as a pastor is that I get to know all different kinds of people on a personal level. Yeah, we do a lot of business together. We have administration and a budget and projects that we work on, but I also just get to chit chat with them about who they are. I get to listen to their family histories. I get to visit them in their homes. I get to find out what they really enjoy doing. I've known a lot of woodworkers and a lot of quilters. I've known a lot of handymen and gardeners. I know people who collect poems or clocks or teddy bears. <laughs> I know people who go sailing and people who go backpacking, people who make wine or chocolate candy or coach kids soccer. I know people who have researched the genealogy of their family or who teach their friends to play pickleball or who are excellent at finding treasures at yard sales. When I get to visit people in their homes, I see all their wonderful things, their collections of depression glass or antique quilts or China teacups or classic cars. That's right. My job actually involves sometimes taking tours of people's garages. I've seen more than one. It is really an honor and a joy to be welcomed into people's personal lives. I actually love seeing their garages. <laughs> I love seeing people among the things that light them up. And everyone has something. Everyone has something they do or collect or study because it delights them. Something that makes them curious to know more. Something that opens a doorway to wonder. For me, one of the main things that delights me is sewing and knitting. I've been sewing and knitting nonstop for about 15 years. I remember one time years ago, way before the pandemic, I was making a skirt and it was more tailored than my usual projects. And tailoring means fine skill where you really make the garment to fit your body and you use different techniques to make the garment more couture, uh, to last longer, maintain its shape and structure. And so I was researching how to install zippers. I read blog posts and I watched YouTube videos. And finally, I decided to do a hand-picked zipper on this skirt. And a hand-picked zipper is where you sew it in by hand instead of using the sewing machine. And you use a very specific kind of stitch. When you do it by hand, you have a lot more control over the placement of your zipper and the fabric around it, which is really important if you're using a plaid fabric like I was, because I wanted those stripes in the plaid to match up perfectly. 
It's also a much stronger stitch, which is good for a skirt because when you sit down, you put extra stress on the zipper. And it's a little counterintuitive, right? Like you would think that using a sewing machine would be stronger than doing it by hand, but really doing it by hand is very strong. And on top of all that, a hand-picked zipper uses stitches that are barely visible. I mean, how awesome is that? You are basically a superhero to have control, strength, and invisibility. <laughs> I was so excited about this hand-picked zipper. I remember specifically one night going to bed and having to intentionally tell myself to stop thinking about zippers because I needed to go to sleep. That's how excited I was. <laughs> now, you might not think zippers are as exciting as I do, but I bet you do have some niche obsession. I bet you have something in your life that if asked, you could do a whole presentation on at the drop of a hat. It occurs to me that all of these things, these specialties, these things that light us up, they all exist during difficult days too. They are right there alongside with everything that weigh us down and make us afraid. They're there like little diamond Easter eggs, waiting for us to rediscover them and remember that this is also a world of joy and wonder. Lately, it's been difficult for me to give time to my knitting and sewing. I haven't had a project like my hand-picked zipper skirt in a while, something that really uh, compels me to learn and takes up my brain space. With all the demands on my time, with my kids getting older and issues in the church and at work, with all the injustice in the world, it just feels selfish and frivolous and clueless to sit down and give myself to things like hand-sewn zippers. Did you ever see that movie Hidden Figures? Uh, it's about the African-American women who worked at NASA and were responsible for the complex math that got the astronauts to the moon in the 1960s. And it's also about the oppressive racism and sexism that they dealt with and had to overcome. Now, I know this movie has problems with the white savior trope. There are a couple of scenes where the white man, the boss, stands up for the black woman, and he ends up looking like the good guy. These scenes were written for the movie and were not based on any actual events. I think these scenes, maybe at their best, were written to give white people a model of uh, how not to be part of the problem, but it's more likely that they were just written to make people feel like racism wasn't really everywhere. It wasn't all white people. It's just the bad ones, right? Anyway, those scenes weren't actually the ones that I remembered the most. The thing that I remembered most from watching that movie was how I felt during a really pretty unexciting scene uh, about a party. The three women and their families have a party to celebrate something or other. And it's a normal party. There's food and music and dancing, and everyone is having a great time. Uh, two of the characters get closer to each other. It's really a very sweet, lovely scene. But I spent the whole scene totally tense, just waiting for something really bad to happen. I mean, here were these three characters all struggling through overwhelming racism and obstacles, and here they were just having a good time right there out in the open. Something must 
be about to come along and ruin it, right? No, nothing ruined it. They were just having a party. Now, the scene did end with a news bulletin about the Russians sending a man into space, so the U.S. had lost the space race, which was pretty bad news for those who worked at NASA. But I was ready for one of the women to lose their job, or for their children to go missing, or honestly, for a brick to come through the window. I reflected on this scene and how I felt afterward. Why was I so tense during an innocent and even joyful point in the story? Why couldn't I just enjoy it the way I was meant to? I think it was because I saw Black people celebrating and full of joy, and I've been conditioned to see them only as the receivers of pain and struggle. As I thought about it, I realized, of course they could just throw a party and just have it be a time of joy. Yes, their life is full of struggle, but they also have a right to joy, to claim these moments of joy, to protect them from the evils of the world, and have those moments all to yourself. Well, that is a way of overcoming racism too. In fact, as I've become more aware, reflected on this some more, I've realized that Black folks, and especially Black women, are experts in protecting and embodying their joy. You may have heard in recent years this phrase, joy is an act of resistance. I've heard that before, and I did a little bit of uh, Googling and research lately. That is actually the title of a poem by Toy Derricotte, who's an African-American poet. You don't just resist evil and injustice by fighting and working hard and never giving up, always being brave. Joy, celebrating it, embodying it, seeking it out. Joy has the power to overcome evil also. I think I need to focus on this idea that being intentional about celebrating joy can help us overcome these difficult days. It's not frivolous or silly to spend time on things like zippers <laughs> or rock collections or a backpacking trip or flying your drone or whatever it is that leads you to wonder and delight. Focusing on these things will give us the strength we need to fight all the things that are threatening to bring us down. Wonder and delight will remind us what we're fighting and working for in the first place. I know it's tempting, but ignoring things, ignoring the world in order to find happiness is not the answer. I think that only delays the pain and also does nothing to make things better for anyone. Action is the antidote to despair, which I guess Joan Baez said. So working to fight racism, climate change, gun violence, or really anything will make things brighter. And while working for justice, we also need to find or make joy and celebrate with those we love. That's part of the action, the antidote too. A couple of months ago, I saw a tweet that said something like, I work at a library and a man brought in his stamp collection and said that no one had seen it in a while and maybe we would like to see it. We need more of this. We need more folks volunteering to show off their stamp collection, and we need more people excited to see it. Joy gives us strength. 
and there are doorways to the joys of life all around us. We need to walk through them together. Okay, it's time for this week's Goodness and Love Award. This is the award I give to someone who has shown us transcendent, powerful love, strong enough to overcome the forces of evil. And the award that comes with absolutely no benefits, no money, no notoriety, just our heartfelt gratitude. And maybe some proverbial gold stars. Why not throw those in there? This week's Goodness and Love Award goes to libraries. I love my local library. I hope you love yours too. And summer is a great time to fall in love with your library all over again. First of all, libraries are free. They're open to all. How many places are there in life where you can go and be without any expectation of paying? I once had a friend who was a retired librarian. Her name was Ruth. And for her, the library was like a calling. She had a moral imperative to help connect people and the information they needed, no matter who they were. When I knew Ruth, she was disabled to the point of being unable to leave her home. She was also very poor and didn't have access to the internet. She didn't have a cell phone, but she had a landline, and so she could access the library. The library would put together a weekly envelope of books and DVDs and send them to her through the mail. She also called the library whenever she needed to know anything. One time we were visiting, and we were talking about the Great British Baking Show, which we both loved, and I think we were wondering what caster sugar was, because that's a UK thing term. We don't have that in the U.S. So Ruth called the library right then, right while we were visiting. She asked her question and they looked it up for her and told us what caster sugar was. I have forgotten what it is. I guess I could call the library and find out. The library would also send her recipes printed off the internet or articles on other questions she had. They were basically her Google. They were her lifeline. They were also her friends. They knew her by name. They greeted her warmly. They really connected her life in her little apartment to the entire world. When she died, the librarians came to her memorial. Did you know that libraries don't just have books and movies? Our library has this whole library of things. They have crafting equipment, soil test kits, a learn to play pickleball kit. They have light meters. Our community is an agricultural community and our library even has a seed library. Do you know about the library app? Ours uses an app called Libby 
I don't know if all libraries do or if there are other library apps. You enter your library card number and then you can borrow e-reader books and audiobooks. And the audiobooks are amazing. You don't need that subscription to Audible. Just go to your library and everything is free and waiting for you to download. My favorite way to use the library is like an alternative to my Amazon app. So I keep the library site open on my phone, my phone's website browser. And when I hear about a book on Instagram or a podcast or in real life, I look it up on the library site and I can put it on hold. Then the next time I'm driving through town, I stop at the library and pick it up. It's waiting for me right there by the door. It's just as quick and convenient as Amazon, but it's free. It doesn't add packaging or delivery truck emissions to the environment. It doesn't add clutter to my house. And I'm supporting community resources for all. It encourages me to read things I would never spend money on. Like one time when I was really into sewing something, I borrowed this huge picture reference book on fashion through the last 300 years. I mean, I would never spend money on that. But having my library meant that I could learn about it, be into it for a day or two, and then take it back. So why does the library receive the Goodness and Love Award? I mean, libraries are great, but really the power of transcendent love just at your local library? Yes, I think so. I think part of the human condition, our human nature, is to want to hoard things for ourselves. We naturally want to accumulate and own and have. And we kind of have to talk ourselves into sharing. So the fact that we have these public institutions open and free for everyone, just to give everyone access to all the information that there is, isn't that kind of like a miracle? Isn't that a sign that we can make community a priority? We can choose to build each other up, to share with one another, to take turns, to treat each person with dignity and respect. Our librarians do it every day. And every time I borrow a book and read it and take it back so someone else can read it, I am a part of that community too. So friends, check out your library. Some libraries even have summer reading programs for adults. But even if yours doesn't, just make one up for yourself. You know, read five books, then take yourself out for pizza. <laughs> You'll support your library, support your community, and feed that sense of wonder and joy. Friends, who in your life is showing you the deep power of love? Please let me know so that we can lift them up here tell everyone their story and give them a goodness and love award, which comes with basically nothing except the power of love. Who doesn't want or need that? So lift someone up around you because when you do, you'll lift up all of us. You can email me at already all around at gmail.com. Already is one word with only one L and I'll get in touch to hear about your story of how you've seen the power of love. I can't wait to hear these stories.
friends, thank you so much for sharing this time with me and for listening to my second ever podcast episode. I promise I won't keep count of all of them, but for now it's still new. I hope that this time turns into a conversation that I can hear from you and that we can encourage each other. I hope this time has been helpful to you and I hope that we can inspire each other to keep going, to keep the faith in the power of love and the goodness of community. It's there. And when we share it with each other, it makes it so much easier to see that goodness and love are already all around. Take good care, and I'll talk with you next time. I learned so much about people that I had known for years. Cat.
Friends, thank you so much for sharing this time with me and for listening to my second podcast episode. I promise I won't count all of them, but it's still new and exciting. I hope this time has been helpful for you, and I hope it inspires you to keep going, to keep the faith in the power of love and the goodness of community for just one more day. It's there. It is there. And when we share it with each other, it makes it so much easier to see that goodness and love are already all around. Take good care, and I'll talk with you next time.